All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today you are hearing my rapid reaction to the Falcons' week one loss to the Philadelphia Eagles by a score of 32 to 6. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP. You can find my weekly column now at The Falcoholic. And, of course, you can check me out on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, still hosting every day this Locked On Falcons podcast, this illustrious podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is giving you my rapid reaction uh, from this Falcons week one loss to the Philadelphia Eagles by a score of 32 to six. And in so doing, you'll get my story of the game at the end of the show, which is basically going to be what we really learned about a summary of what we really learned about Arthur Smith and this Falcon team from Sunday's action. I'll be giving out my grades for the various units and different phases of the game, looking at the Falcons offense, defense and special teams. And I will also give you a game summary for those of you that missed it or just need a simple refresher. But before we get into all of that, I know some of you Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon are looking for that pregame show that gives you no sketches, no fluff, no cameos, just football. And of course the locked on podcast network has you covered with the locked on NFL Sunday show live every Sunday morning, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern featuring host Cody Rark, Ross Jackson, as well as several of the various locked on local experts. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the locked on live show on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and more. And don't forget to turn on those notifications so that you can be notified when the show goes live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. So kicking off the week one game summary, things started pretty promising for the Falcons offense out of the gates with the Falcons coming out, running an up-tempo offense with no huddle. And it appears that the Eagles were not quite ready for it. Matt Ryan's connection with Calvin Ridley appeared in the opening series to be in midseason form, completing three passes to the fourth year wide receiver on the team's first eight plays for a combined 39 yards, including two third down conversions to get the Falcons into the red zone. But thereafter, things stagnated. And oddly enough, the Falcons opted against having their number one draft pick in Kyle Pitts on the field for the ensuing third and goal from the three yard line. And Ryan's pass to Mike Davis was broken up, forcing the team to settle for a 21 yard field goal. Kicker Youngway Koo made the kick, but it certainly was fair to question if whether the team should have gone for it on that fourth and goal. Uh, but head coach Arthur Smith opted for a conservative play call in that situation, which would kind of become a running theme throughout the day. The Eagles then responded with a quick series of short throws to wide receiver Quez Watkins also got gifted 15 yards of field position. Thanks to a late hit penalty on a safety, Eric Harris, a 13 yard quarterback keeper by Jalen hurts, followed by a couple of runs by miles Sanders, got the Eagles into the red zone who didn't have necessarily the same issues that the Falcons had converting there. The Eagles first round wide receiver, Devonte Smith was able to beat Falcons corner Fabian and Moreau with a nice rub route uh, with some help from uh, his uh, teammate, uh, one of the tight ends. I can't remember if it was Goddard or Ertz. Uh, and, and that led to an 18-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Hurts, giving the Eagles a 7-3 to lead. 
while the first series was mostly the Calvin Ridley show for the Falcons offense, the second offensive possession was spearheaded by several solid runs by backup running back Cordero Patterson, whose first three carries went for a combined 35 yards that helped the Falcons get into Eagles territory. Then on third and nine, Matt Ryan was able to escape pressure up the middle, scrambled and dove for a first down. He was marked a yard shy of the sticks, but on fourth and one, the Falcons finally found their first round selection in Kyle Pitts for his first catch of the game on a one yard conversion. Mike Davis uh, got into the act of further establishing the run with three carries to get the ball down inside the Falcons, uh, inside the Eagles five yard line. But then an illegal formation penalty on Pitts and a false start on Drew Dolman, who was briefly stepping in for an injured starter in fellow rookie Jalen Mayfield to back the Falcons up with the second quarter beginning in a third and goal from the nine. Ryan saw more pressure and was forced to throw the ball away, putting Koo back on the field for another short kick from 27 yards, which he made to cut Philly's lead to seven to six. The Falcons defense struggled against the Eagles tight ends on the ensuing series with Goddard going for a 13 yard grab, followed by Zach Ertz making a 28 yard grab on a busted coverage. The ball did appear to hit the ground before Ertz was able to secure Hertz's underthrown pass, but the Eagles were able to snap the ball quickly before Arthur Smith could challenge. But thankfully nothing really came of it as the Falcons defense tightened up with Moreau getting a little bit of redemption by breaking up Hertz's pass to Devonte Smith on the ensuing third down Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni, however, in contrast to Arthur Smith, was a little bit more aggressive going for it on fourth and four from the Falcons 36. But pressure from Grady Jarrett forced Hurts to throw it away. And the Falcons had the most favorable field position that they had throughout the entire game on the ensuing drive starting out. But nothing came of it. And the Falcons remained committed to running the football with Smith getting away, even handing the ball off to Cordero Patterson on a third and nine, which the backup offensive weapon was able to convert on 11 yard gain to get the Falcons near midfield. Matt Ryan's next pass saw him pressured and he was forced to throw it away, drawing an intentional grounding penalty, pushing the Falcons back to a third and 21, which of course was too far for them to run the ball. And even Matt Ryan throwing the ball led to a nine yard check down to Hayden Hurst leading to Cam Nizelek's first punt of the day. He'd have many more. The Eagles had no problem moving the ball to midfield on their ensuing drive, but offensive line penalties pushed them back. And their first-year punter, Aaron Sipos, also made his debut, pinning the Falcons inside the 10. But the Falcons went conservative again, running the ball three straight times to Mike Davis, including on a third and nine. And he was bottled up for a three-yard gain. Nizelec was back punting the ball quickly to the Eagles just after the two-minute warning, with the Falcons needing a stop or else risk the Eagles who were getting the ball at the start of the second half to be able to really expand their lead. Uh, the Falcons unfortunately could not get Hertz down with a couple of blitzes, but the Eagles quarterback's mobility proved to be a great equalizer several times. And he was able to escape pressure and would be sacks twice. Hertz was able to scramble for first downs and another time was able to avoid pressure from a blitzing Isaiah Oliver and deliver a 10 yard throw to wide receiver Jalen Rieger uh, that got the Eagles into the red zone that led to a spike with 22 seconds left on the clock. The Falcons opted to go conservative with a three man rush and Hertz had plenty of time to find Goddard for a 12 yard gain to get inside the five, a mistimed shovel pass to rookie running back Kenneth Gainwell led to a touchdown on the next play, but it was nullified thanks to an illegal blocker being called downfield, but Hertz legs was able to make up for it on the ensuing play with just two seconds left on the first half clock, extending a play and then firing a laser to Goddard who made a diving grab for the nine yard score, capping off a 12 play scoring drive with less than two minutes 
on the clock. It did appear that Goddard's catch might've hit the ground as he was going down to the ground, but there was no real clear angle in order to overturn that call. So the refs did rule it a touchdown. And of course, with no time left on the first half clock, a point after touchdown was attempted, but Penalties reared their ugly head and Marlon Davids was flagged for an illegal formation penalty. And the Eagles opted on the retry to go for two. And Miles Sanders was able to easily score on the two point conversion, giving the Eagles a 15 to six halftime lead. Fortunately, the Falcons defense did tighten up in the third quarter with the Eagles opening possession, ending with a Jacob Tuoti Meritor sack as he was able to loop wide around the pocket and chase down a scrambling Hurts from behind. However, the Falcons offense then went three and out. The Eagles then committed to the run on their ensuing drive with Hurts, Miles Sanders, Gainwell all gaining 45 yards on five straight runs to get deep into Falcons territory. But the Falcons defense got help on a botched exchange leading to Hurts missing Goddard on a third and two. Seriani again opted to go for it on fourth down, but Deion Jones, Foye, Aluakun, and Stephen Means all converged on the Gainwell carry to get the stuff at the Falcons' 20-yard line. Unfortunately, a pair of offensive pass interference penalties on the ensuing drive negated some big gains for the Falcons. First, Hayden Hurst didn't sell his rub route as well as the Eagles tight end did on the opening drive, nullifying an 18-yard completion to Kyle Pitts. Then Ridley did the same on a 21-yard gain by Mike Davis. So Nizalek was on again, the punt after a failed third and 15 attempt. The Eagles capitalized thanks to a 25 yard gain by Miles Sanders on a screen pass, catching the Falcons defense out of position when they decided to blitz. Gainwell scored untouched on an eight yard run on the very next play. Thanks to the Eagles offensive line, getting a ton of movement up front that gave the Eagles a 22 to six lead with the third quarter coming close to a close. The Falcons offense continued to stagnate with Mike Davis running for no gain on the opening play. And then Smith continued to run the ball. Thanks to concerns about the pass protection ability to hold up. But Smith's concerns about protection would fully come to the fore as Ryan was hit as he threw on the ensuing second down and then having a pass too really broken up by Darius Slay on third down. It was another nice elect punt. The Falcons defense did get two stops on the ensuing Eagles drive things and some key tackles for loss and run stops from players like Deion Jones, Eric Harris, Stephen Means, Dante Fowler, and TJ Green. But the one Falcons possession sandwich in between those two possessions was once again ruined with Ryan facing pressure on a third and 10 and having to throw well shy of the sticks to Pitts. So with seven minutes to go, the Falcons had, you know, basically a do or die situation with another chance to score uh, down two scores. But once again, the pass protection could not hold up with rookie Jalen Mayfield getting beat for a sack from Hassan Ridgeway and Ryan being forced to throw it into the dirt in order to avoid the negative play. But that led to an intentional grounding penalty. Then on the ensuing fourth down, Ryan was sacked by Javon Hargrave, who once again beat Mayfield, giving the Eagles the ball back at the Falcons 22 yard line. Hertz quickly capitalized on a three play scoring drive, hitting Rieger on a RPO and and he outsprinted the rest of the Falcons defense for a 23 yard touchdown. Ryan was sacked again on the ensuing drive by Ridgeway. This time he was able to walk back first year starting center, Matt Hennessy, which was followed by another Hargrave fourth down sack against Mayfield with the Eagles getting favorable field position. Once more starting out in field goal territory at the Falcons 31, they were able to basically salt away two more minutes of the game by running the football, settling for a 43 yard kick from kicker, Jake Elliott with a minute to go. Josh Rosen then entered the game, handing the ball off twice to Keith Smith at the end and the Falcons 
wound up losing with a final score of 32 to six in Arthur Smith's NFL debut as a head coach. Despite the scoreboard suggesting an easy affair for the Eagles, both teams had a relatively sloppy performance in terms of penalties. The Eagles were penalized 14 times and the Falcons were penalized 12 times. Two teams that did not play their starters very much in the preseason. The Eagles did play a little bit more than the Falcons suffered from a lack of discipline in this week. One game coincidence depends on what perspective you have. But speaking of perspectives, we will get into my perspective by giving out grades of the various units, looking at the Falcons passing and rushing attacks on both sides of the ball. Plus special teams coming up on today's episode. But before we get there, guys, you know that football season is back and you better make the most of it with a better way to create your custom pool at runyourpool.com, the premier sports pool hosting service. Run Your Pool makes it ridiculously easy to run a football pool with friends, family, and office mates. They offer dozens of formats, including survivor pick em, confidence pools, and more. Run Your Pool hosts formats for the NFL and college football with one-week games, full season playoffs, or the Super Bowl. Unlike other fantasy sports platforms, Run Your Pool has options and settings to make it your own. You can join the free Locked On Falcons pick em by going to Locked On Falcons Twitter page and clicking the link on the pinned tweet. And if you're interested in starting your own pool, you can by checking them out today and get $10 off at runyourpool.com slash locked on or use our promo code locked on at checkout anywhere everywhere in the world run your pool helps friends and colleagues compete the nfl season starts september 9th start today at runyourpool.com slash locked on and have your pool up and running in minutes runyourpool.com slash locked on so giving out grades for the falcons starting with the passing offense got to give it a d plus right the ryan ridley connection looked sharp early in the game but those three catches were basically the only ones between ryan and ridley until the opening possession of the third quarter, the Ryan Pitts connection did not look sharp, almost as if maybe he would have benefited from getting some in-game reps during the preseason. Who knows? Russell Gage only had two targets all game. He had one target on the opening possession. And then on Ryan's last series in the fourth quarter, uh, the pass protection was a constant issue. And even though Ryan wasn't sacked until the, Last five minutes of the game, he was hit several times in the first half, and the Falcons' interior offensive line was not really able to hold up during that time. Arthur Smith's play calling was conservative, but if you're going to give him the benefit of the doubt, it was likely due to he didn't have trust in the pass protection's ability to hold up in a straight drop back passing game, essentially saying as much in his post game presser, which is why he continued to run the football. Uh, you know, literally all the way up to the fourth quarter. Uh, and then things became a problem. You know, the Falcons were perfectly balanced in the first half with 18 called runs and 18 called pass plays in the third quarter. There were four called runs and five called pass plays. But then in the fourth quarter, it was one run play to 15 pass plays. And it's not a coincidence that they started giving up sacks three to be exact in that fourth quarter. And when we've had games in the past where the Falcons have given up eight or nine sacks to opposing teams, three sacks kind of looks commendable, but it was very clear that they were overmatched in this game, despite what the box score says. Jalen Mayfield really struggled. Matt Hennessy was okay, but I think his issues got exposed late in the game as well. Lindstrom also had his fair share of struggles going up against Fletcher Cox, which we've discussed in the past that Lindstrom's biggest problems tend to go against those bigger bigger, powerful D tackles, players like Akeem Hicks and, and Chris Jones last year. And, and Cox certainly fits into that prototype. Um, I thought the offensive tackles for the most part, again, watching it live, we'll see what happens once I rewatch the game. You know, I thought the offensive tackles were decent, you know, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Derek Barnett did get some pressure in this game, but you know, they probably wouldn't have 
been a big deal had Matt Ryan had clean pockets to step up into with that edge pressure. You know, I think Matt Ryan's play was fine. Uh, it would be basically nitpicking of me to, to really criticize him in, in any significant way, given that he was under pressure as much as he was and, and frankly didn't look particularly comfortable running the offense uh, outside of, you know, some play action stuff. But again, you know, part of me thinks that maybe the team could have benefited from giving him some snaps during the summer. But of course, that's a probably a, a pretty ridiculous idea. Am I right? Um, moving on to the rushing offense, I'll give it a B minus probably being a little bit more positive than I should with that grade. But, you know, the stat came out that the Falcons rushed for 86 yards in the first quarter, which was more than they had in a combined seven games last year or not, not a combined seven games. They had more rushing yards. 86 yards was more than they had in seven games last year. So that was a very promising start to this, you know, balanced, you know, more physical attack. Uh, Their success rate in the first quarter was 62% and their yards per carry was 6.6. New listeners to the show should know that I prefer success rate as a metric for rushing efficiency since it's not skewed by long runs like yards per carry is. Uh, It basically judges, you know, runs on a pass fail basis based off of down and distance. So a healthy success rate generally is above 40%. A good success rate is over 45%. Very good is over 50%. And obviously 62% would be absolutely superb. But after the first quarter, the Falcons success rate was only 23%, which is very bad. And their yards per carry was 2.9. And in truth, if you throw out the two garbage time runs by Keith Smith at the end of the game to run out the clock, that number would be 9% success rate and a yards per carry of 2.3. So the Eagles were basically able to shut down the Falcons run game for the final three quarters of this game. So if you're looking at the final total and you're seeing, oh, we rushed for 124 yards, we had 4.8 yards per carry, and we had an overall success rate of 42%, which is pretty good. The reality is it was a night and day performance from the first quarter to the last three quarters. So I probably should give it something in a C range for that reason, but I'll be a little bit positive and give it a B minus. Moving on to the defense, the pass defense, I give a C minus. I don't think the defense was great, but I'm not going to judge them too harshly. You know, I thought Hertz looked pretty good. His mobility proved to be an asset, uh, which meant, you know, the Falcons pressure was often negated. He was either scrambling, you know, for several gains. I believe he only had three of his seven rushing attempts were designed runs. The rest were scrambles. So you could probably add in, you know, roughly half of his 62 rushing yards uh, and and tack that onto his 264 passing yards to basically mean he was able to generate roughly 300 yards of offense. And then you couple that with him completing 77% of his passes. He was extremely efficient. The, The Eagles were not balanced in the first half, unlike the Falcons with 24 passes and three scrambles for 27 passing plays and only seven called runs. I thought the expectation, we talked about this on the crossover earlier this week, was that the Eagles would be fairly conservative by running the football, which they were not, uh, and instead relied heavily on the short and quick passing game to supplement uh, a pretty non-existent run game in the first half uh, of of the game, at least run non-existent in the sense that, that they were not running the ball, not that they actually couldn't run the ball. We'll get into that later. And I think that was a a big reason why Hertz was able to complete so many passes because he was given a lot of easy throws to make Uh, and that allowed him to get into a rhythm. And, you know, he was clearly feeling it throughout the rest of the game. The Falcons blitzing from my eyes was not particularly effective until maybe the two minute drive right before the end of the first half. And and that was the drive that Hertz really made them pay by being able to extend plays and escape and, and scramble for big gains. From my eye, they weren't really dialing up that many blitzes 
early in the game. You know, they did somewhat, but they weren't that aggressive with throwing, you know, as I thought they would throwing the entire kitchen sink at Jalen Hurts. And it was a lot more four man pressures early in the game. For the most part, there were moments um, where they were effective at speeding up Hurts and get him off his game. But those were few and far between for the most part. And so the Eagles, for the most part, seemed to be able to execute exactly what they wanted to do uh, and exactly how they drew things up. So that's why I'm giving the pass defense a C minus the run defense. I'm going to give a C plus partially due to the fact that the Eagles weren't that committed to the run game early in the game. But once they did commit to it in the second half, the Falcons weren't exactly really shutting them down. So even if you throw out Hertz's scrambles, the Eagles had like a success rate of 86% on their seven design runs in the first half with a yards per carry of 6.1. Then in the third quarter, they opened things up with 89 rushing yards in that quarter alone on design runs with a yards per carry of 7.4 and a success rate of 67%. It was really only in the fourth quarter where the Falcons defense put the clamps on the Eagles running game when their yards per carry fell to 1.9. Their success rate was only 25%. But despite these relatively low grades for the defense, I don't want to pile too much on the Falcons defense, uh, who certainly thinks in part to the Eagles kind of taking their foot off the gas in the second half of the game, particularly when it came to committing to the run, establishing the run. You know, I did think the defense did get more than enough stops to give the offense a chance to get back into the game. And so they, even though when you average out the grades, the offense's combined grade is roughly the same as the defense's combined grade for the day. I do put more of the blame of this game on the offense. The Falcons were blanked in the red zone. The Eagles were not. They went three for three. The Falcons went over two. The offense was given plenty of chances uh, with those early red zone opportunities, coupled with several drives to make something happen after the first quarter, but of course did not. I won't say that the Falcons defense played well, but just like I said about the Cowboys defense after their Thursday night performance uh, in Friday's episode, I thought the Falcons defense was quote unquote good enough to give this team a chance to win the game. If the offense had, you know, carried their fair share of the burden, but alas, the offense did not. We don't necessarily play in an era where defenses are winning you games, right? I said this before when a listener, you know, several weeks back asked me about the Falcons potential ceiling this season. And I looked at some data that basically said like over the last five years, like 90% of the teams that make it to the conference championship games featured top 10 offenses, but only like 30% of those teams featured top 10 defenses. And it's not to sit here and say that defense doesn't matter, but your winning, your ability to win games is largely based around your ability to score points. And the Falcons did not do that. So, Moving on to the special teams, I'll give them a C plus. Like I said earlier, the field position battle was clearly won by the Eagles. Thanks to their punter being really good of the Falcons four drives that began after an Eagles punt. Two of them started inside the 10 and two started inside the 20 contrasted with the Eagles five drives that began after a Falcons punt. Three were inside the 20, which is not a bad number. But, you know, the other one started at the 38 and another one started at the 50 and, and not coincidentally, uh, the Eagles were able to score touchdowns on those drives with relatively short fields. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily blame this game on Nizalek or anything or his, his poor punting or anything like that, because I thought he did a decent job punting. Um, but it was very clear that the Eagles punting gave them uh, an edge there. And, you know, the good thing you say, Nizalek, he did have a 62 yard boomer late in the game. Koo did 
you know, do his job by making both of his chip shots. I thought Avery Williams was pretty ho-hum as a punt returner. Cordero Patterson only had one kickoff return. He decided to return one nine yards deep into the end zone and did not get a good return on it. And the Falcons started out that drive at the 17. So it's not to say that the Falcons special teams played poorly, but it was very clear that the Eagles special teams was much better. So that's why I gave him a C plus. So we'll wrap up today's episode talking more about what we learned about Arthur Smith and if it's time to panic. And I think the answer is no to that, but I'll tell you why I'm not necessarily going to panic and what the Falcons can do to fix their offensive line. As we wrap up today's locked on Falcons rapid reaction. But before we get there, guys, I want to ask you, does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows and you're watching sports highlights on your phone. And meanwhile, you got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without any of the hassle and a great way to get, finally get your TV together. It's called direct TV stream and it brings you live TV and your on-demand favorites together like never before so that you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That's That means no more juggling remotes or no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter, the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required content varies by package. Did you guys know that Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has several delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownies, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry. There's something for everyone. There's also the occasional limited time flavor like orange and strawberry. You can try them all with a mixed box and you'll want to get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. My favorite, the coconut almond, tastes just like an almond joy. And it's not just about Built Bars great taste they're healthy too they're low in sugar low in calories high in protein high in fiber again that candy bar taste with none of the guilt just head over to built.com and use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your first order that's promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com so all off season and summer long we talked about the expectations for this team what they should be what they would be And, you know, we talked quite a bit about Arthur Smith putting a lot of pressure on himself and the rest of this coaching staff to make it all work. Right. And, you know, our concerns began with, you know, began at the beginning of the offseason where this team didn't necessarily make any big, bold moves to really move the needle forward from a talent standpoint. Um, We talked about that lack of talent. We talked about that lack of depth. We talked about concerns in the trenches with the pass rush and the offensive line. And these have been issues that we have been talking about quite a bit since the draft. And we also talked about, you know, in the summer, the decision to not play guys during the preseason. And because, of course, I'm petty, you know, I couldn't help but notice how many people during and after the game were quick to say, oh, the talent's the issue. And I would love to go back and look at the receipts to see how many of those people over the last six months have been talking about how the coaching was the main issue for the team. But that being said, despite all my doubts, you know, I definitely did expect this team to perform much better in this week one game. I did believe that Arthur Smith and Dean Pease would get this team off to a good start this season. So I too will own that L and admit I was wrong in that regard. Now I'm not going to necessarily panic over this loss, but obviously if the playoffs were something that you were expecting from this team this season, Owen one is clearly suboptimal given that they have to travel to Tampa Bay next week. No one is certainly going to pick the Falcons to beat the Bucks next week. We know it's any given Sunday and all that stuff, but 
if you were on this team being a playoff team under this new regime bandwagon, your brand has taken a significant hit after today's performance. Now, every week offers certainly a new opportunity to learn new things about the team. And we'll see, you know, what we learned this week, how they recover from this disappointing start to their season. If they bounce back, if they're more competitive against the buck than they were against the Eagles. But, you know, I think probably a lot of us are going to start putting a lot more emphasis on that Giants game in week three, as well as that London game in week five against the Jets uh, in order for this team to get back on track. I had this team projected to go eight, and nine this season. And if they can't, you know, at least get off to a two and three start. That is going to be a very, very tough record to achieve um, in my eyes. So we could see this team, you know, based off of today's performance, it's not hard to imagine this team getting off to like a one in four start or worse. Um, I'm sure many of you can imagine that. Um, But, you know, you never know. They might turn things around and, and get off to a three and two start. It wouldn't be the first time the Falcons got off to a very rough week one outing and turned things around quickly. So it's not impossible that this new regime could do so. It's still very early in the season, and I'm trying my best to not make sweeping overreactions to one game. But I can't help but think about some of the things that I've been thinking about, some of the lingering questions I've been pondering um, going you know, for the last several weeks. Um, and wondering if things are going to wind up going much more poorly for this team than many of us, including myself, initially expected. And these have been thoughts that have been bouncing around my head for several weeks. Um, And, you know, it gets back to that concept of, is this team rebuilding, right? And, And that notion that this team is not rebuilding rings, at least today, a lot falser, right? And I'll be honest with you, you know, I can, I can pinpoint you the exact time where I started to go, wait a second, something might be wrong here. And it was in early August and Tori McElhaney, formerly of the athletic now with Atlanta Falcons.com was on the athletic podcast with Robert Mays. And they were talking about, you know, the Falcons and their expectations this season. And I don't want to necessarily put words in the Tori's mouth. You can go, of course, listen to the episode. I think it was August 6th. Um, But my takeaway from that conversation was that the Falcons are actually kind of rebuilding. And it reminded me of many of the things that Tori was saying back in February when she was on this podcast about this team not being in the situation for a quick fix. And it kind of made me realize at that moment, that was the moment I kind of realized, like, have I been deluding myself for the last six months thinking that this team was going to be able to turn things around? And it caused me to have to sort of reassess a lot of the questions that I had not been asking myself uh, over the previous six months and started to ask myself. And it caused me to have some concerns. And, you know, I think that was a contributing factor to why I was very uh, frustrated with the team's refusal to play players in the preseason, because to me, they basically were not trying to answer any of the questions I had at that point. And so for me, it simply, it was a simple issue of if they came out and played well against Philly, all of those unanswered questions would just simply go away. We can just sweep them under the rug and be like, okay, that was a summer thing. You know, that was for summer content. I was complaining to get through the summer, but uh, you know, that was just me making a mountain out of a molehill. But Obviously, the team did not play particularly well in this week one game. And while I don't think it's all bad, a lot of the big concerns that I had going into the season sort of reared their ugly head. All right. And one of those was obviously the offensive line. One of those was all obviously the lack of pass rush. And the other one was kind of, OK, what do we know about Arthur Smith? 
And based off what we know, do we know if Arthur Smith is good at generating explosive plays and dialing up those explosive plays? We did not see explosive plays, you know, to borrow from my boy, Steve Harvey, the host of family feud in terms of those three things that I just outlined, you know, we get three big X's right. You know, on the screen to indicate whether or not the Falcons check those boxes. And, you know, you look at the explosive plays, Matt Ryan's first pass of the game was a 16 yarder to Calvin Ridley, but then didn't have a single completion uh, over that yardage uh, until an 18 yarder to Kyle Pitts midway through the third quarter. And I certainly think the offensive line issues and the explosiveness issues are probably linked. Um, And let's talk about the offensive line in order to wrap things up today. The question, I guess a lot of people are going to be asking, do the Falcons turn to a new starting left guard next week? And particularly Kobe Gossett. And as I said, when we signed Kobe Gossett uh, a couple of a week or so ago, you know, I do think he is a better player to than Jalen Mayfield. And so I would love to see it. Right. But Arthur Smith, the coach, he makes these decisions. And as I said, when we sign Kobe Gossett, teams don't normally bench your third round pick. It's not a good look. And generally speaking, once teams toss the keys to a rookie, they don't necessarily second guess that decision. And so if Arthur Smith continues to roll with Jalen Mayfield until Josh Andrews gets back in week three, week four, whenever I will certainly understand that I won't necessarily agree with it, but if he doesn't decide um, to, to roll with Jalen Mayfield, you know, it, it will give us some answers about what we know about Arthur Smith. Because when you talk about the narrative that so many people have been preaching for several months now, that Arthur Smith is a different type of coach than what the Falcons have had. Right. That's the narrative. Right. And my response to that narrative has always been like, is he actually different? Do you know that? Or are you saying that because you want that to be true? Not because you actually know it to be true. So I'm, I'm, I'll be very curious to see if Arthur Smith does buck that tradition and basically gives Jalen Mayfield a quick hook. Right. Or does he stick with Mayfield? And then we'll also find out a lot about Jalen Mayfield as well as offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford based off of if he can improve next week against an arguably better front in Tampa Bay. Now, I would argue that Tampa Bay's D tackles, with the exception of Vita Vea, are not as good as Philadelphia's, but it's close. You know, Vita Vea, Sue, Golston, it's a toss-up, I guess you could say, uh, going up against these Eagles D, D tackles. But I d- certainly think the Eagle, the Bucks edges are much better than the Eagles edges at this point in time. So we'll see how, how that, that goes, right? As Jalen Mayfield is concerned, I'm not going to pile on Jalen Mayfield because if you've listened to this podcast since the draft, you know I've had my concerns about Jalen Mayfield's ability to translate to the NFL. I've said from the jump since the day we drafted him, that to me, he strikes me as a multi-year project and the idea that many people thought that, oh, will we just move him from tackle to guard will magically fix his issues to me was a classic case of people saying, once again, saying the things that sound good, saying the things that they want to hear rather than the actual truth by actually watching and studying the player. But if I'm being completely honest, Jalen Mayfield probably should have never been put in this position from the jump to me that's kind of on the Falcons, right? Whether you want to talk about them arguably reaching on him in the draft, whether you're talking about him being expected to compete for a starting left guard position, despite spending the bulk of June as well as late July and early August playing right tackle and also not getting a single snap working with his fellow starters in an actual game outside of practice you can make a very easy argument that the Falcons kind of set Jalen Mayfield up to fail. 
And while I probably will never have a particularly high opinion on Jalen Mayfield as a viable long-term starter without sort of massive improvement from him over the next three months, I do feel like my issues are less with Jalen Mayfield and more on the Falcons, right? And part of the reason why I'm so obviously butthurt about this is because seven months ago, I was out there advocating for the team to go out there and do whatever it took to go out there and sign someone like a Joe Tooney. So to be frank, this is kind of a situation where I feel like the Falcons reaped what they sowed, right? So we'll see what happens uh, as the season unfolds. And sort of despite despite those stronger words towards the end of the episode, I, I am very curious to see what improvements they will make over this next week. But uh, let's just say, you know, with each week that they struggle, I will become less willing to become the voice of reason that I feel like maybe you guys take away is, is different on today's episode. But I feel like I was trying to be the voice of reason and trying to be, you know, not overreact to this one game. Um, and not be so fire and brimstone after week one, right? I cannot make that promise <laughs> that we will not get more fire and brimstone in subsequent weeks if we do not see improvements from this Falcons football team. So we'll see what happens. And of course, tomorrow we'll be back with a guest to talk more about this game, get a different perspective on this week one loss to the Eagles from another guest. But until we get there, guys, of course, uh, you want to, you know, cheer yourself up by making a little bit of money and you can do so by checking out the locked on beds podcast where handicapping expert Lee Sterling of ParamountSports.com gives you his daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored, as well as his lock of the day every day on the locked on beds podcast presented by betonline.ag. Of course, you can subscribe to the locked on beds podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So guys, this is obviously an opportunity for you guys to blow off some steam and vent a little bit. If you want to uh, hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. I'm all ears until then.